0: Well, I've got us just about time to go. We're glad you're here. Welcome, everyone, to our study tonight, or like I like to call it, the night of grammatical bliss. That's, That's what I like to call this night. We're glad you're here tonight, and thank you for coming. Before we get into our study tonight, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, your people who've come out tonight, because they care about the scriptures, and they are serious about the scriptures. Lord, or they wouldn't be in this study. I pray that you would just bless their time, bless them for being here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we want to go over our worksheet number six, and we'll start by that tonight. And this is really one that you can't do a lot of arguing about because, by the way, did you pick up worksheet number seven? We've got another one out there for you, so it's good. Okay, in the three opening verses of John's gospel, how many prepositions are used? Anybody want to answer that? No. Nine? Five, five, six. six. Yes. There's six. All right, look at your text. Yes. I know where they got to nine, though, because if they were looking from the NASB, I counted nine, but six by the enlarged page. The deal is this sheet right here. This sheet right here. The deal is, you go there and then you go down from the sheet. So if you go to John 1, you'll notice that you have a preposition there. That's the first word of verse 1. If you go four words from the end of that first line, you have the preposition with. That's another preposition, so there would be two. If you go to the second line and you go to about the middle of it, you'll see the preposition in And if you go, the next word after that is the preposition with, then if you go to the third line, you have a preposition by, and then also the preposition apart, and that totals six, six prepositions. See, the beauty of this is, as a teacher, you just can't argue with this. (laughs) So I feel real confident about this one. Okay, question two. In the three opening verses of John's gospel, how many definite articles are used? Five. 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 That's right. Anybody want to argue on that one? Okay. Number three. In the three opening verses of John's gospel, how many nouns are used? Eight, Eight is correct. Eight nouns. In the three opening verses of John's gospel, how many conjunctions are used? Three. All right. In the three opening verses of John's gospel, how many adjectives are used? Two. Two, good. Now we're thinking. In the three opening verses of John's gospel, how many adverbs are used? One. One. And in the three opening verses of John's gospel, how many pronouns are used? Three. Four, four. that's right. These will be kind of like exegetical questions, but they're good for you to think through. Two times it is stated in these verses that the word was in the beginning, and the the, as we talked about last time, is supplied just for English purposes. But the preposition in is used, so based on that preposition chart, what would you conclude about Jesus Christ from the use of that preposition? I'd like to hear some of your answers. Did anybody have an answer? The prior to the beginning of time. Okay. Okay. Did you hear that? No. He's nailed it. You're all good. You're all okay on that, but say it louder, Tim, because this is one time you're right. <laughs> the whole group would like to know that. We want to celebrate this moment with you. That's right. He is in the beginning of everything. Wherever the beginning is, he's there. He's in the center of the beginning of everything. That's what that little preposition does on that chart. But you're, all, you're not wrong in what you concluded, certainly. All right, now in verse 3, the text says, All things were created by him or through him. The pronoun him is a singular masculine. What are your antecedent possibilities? That's correct. So if you build a theology on that point, masculine, singular word, masculine, singular God, what would we conclude then in that? We would conclude that him refers to the word who is Jesus Christ, who is God you can actually get that, and that's all legitimate grammatical thinking in regard to that text. See, you did well on this, so I'm real pleased with this study tonight. All right, let's move on. We're talking about the article, the, the word the, and it is a very important word. It's the most used word in the New Testament. It is never used in a meaningless way, as we mentioned last time. As Dr. Dan Wallace said, it's used over 20,000 times in the New Testament, and it's used to emphasize identity and point out something specific. When you read that little word, the, that's what it's designed to do. If an article is not there, it doesn't lessen things like perhaps in English. If an article's not there, it just basically is saying this is the character and quality of something, and it's just coming at it from a different angle. And the illustration you can use, any illustration, if you say there is the car, the car, you're specifically identifying a car. But if you say there is a car, what you're saying in the text of Scripture is there is everything, the character and quality of what makes a car a car. So you're emphasizing something a little bit different. Now, we said that there are a variety of ways that an article, the, may be used. It can be used to point out a specific person or object, and we cited some examples of that. And then secondly, an article may be used to point out a previous reference. I'd like you to go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Now sometimes when you're reading a text, the writer will use an article to have you identify what he's talking about in the whole context previously. So he'll use an article, the, to let you know I'm talking about that very thing that was just mentioned earlier. And John chapter 4, I think, is a great illustration of that, and I kind of want to start reading at verse 10, and I want to go down to, I think, verse 14. So in John four ten, Jesus answered and said to her, this is the woman of Samaria, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us a well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Now, what you have here is a discussion between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Samaritan woman. And Jesus tells the Samaritan woman that he's in a position to give her living water. And when he says that in verse 10, I can give you living water, he doesn't use the article the there, but in verse 11, You'll notice she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, the well is deep, so where do you get that or the living water? She's referring in the context to the water he's talking about. She thinks it's the water in the well, of course, but she doesn't know what type of water he's talking about, but when she uses that particular article, the, or it's translated that, she's referring to what's previously mentioned. Now, you have another article before water. So now when you get down in the context, the article becomes contextually critical because in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water, the water, well, what water is he talking about? The living water that he could give someone who believes in him. He's developing this thought, and that article, the, becomes very critical to keeping this in a context, realizing he's talking about the same water that he told this woman. It's not the physical water from the well, it's living water that he could give her everlasting life. And that's what he says in verse 14. I can give you a living water that will spring up to everlasting or eternal life. That article goes right back to verse 10 and keeps connecting us to that context. Now, probably most people would read that and figure that out. You wouldn't necessarily need to spot the articles to come to that conclusion or conviction. But having the article there certainly puts it right in that context and it takes us back to the water that Jesus is speaking of. Now, you'll notice in John chapter 4, as long as we're open there, you'll notice in John 4 verse 40 that we read, So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days And then you'll notice in verse 43, after the two days. So there you have the article the. Well, what's he doing there? Well, what John is doing is he's saying that the Samaritans wanted him to stay. And when they first, in verse 40, when the Samaritans came, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. He doesn't use the article there, but then he does use it in verse 43 to say, I stayed there those same two days that they wanted me to stay, and after the two days, I went forth and went into Galilee. So what is the article doing? It's referring back to something previously mentioned. That's what we're learning here. It goes back to something that's been previously mentioned. As long as we're open to John 4, you'll notice in John 4 and verse 50 Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. Now, the specific man to whom this article refers is this official that's mentioned in verse 46. Look at verse 46. Therefore, he came again to Cana of Galilee and he had made the water wine, and there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. So, you have in verse 46, we're introduced to this royal official whose son is sick. And then Jesus says to him in verse 50, and he said, Go, your son lives, the man, the man. It's referring back to the same guy of verse 46. So that's how an article of previous reference works. And you see the importance of it because it points us right back to the individual. Now, a third way the article can be used is it can be used to refer to something specific about an abstract noun. An abstract noun. Now, the Bible uses the article to point out things about a noun. For example, let's take an abstract noun like grace or love or truth. Well, you can say there is grace, or by adding an article, there is the grace. By adding an article, there is the love. By adding an article, there is the truth. Now, it doesn't mean that. If it doesn't have an article, it lessens the meaning of it. It just changes the flavor of it. So if you're talking about grace generally, you could say the character and quality of grace is described in the scriptures, but if you say there is the grace, you're talking about something specific about the grace of God. And so oftentimes, an article would be used with an abstract noun. And A couple of examples there I've cited for you, Luke eighteen thirteen. God be merciful to me, the sinner... The sinner. As we pointed out, Jesus uses that article, the, to show that the one who was justified specifically identified himself as the sinner who needed to be justified. So it wasn't just the character and quality of a sinner. This guy is pinpointing himself. I'm the sinner. I'm the sinner, and I need the justification. And so we could say an abstract noun like sinner. God be merciful to me, a sinner. It would be like, for example, if you were to pray at night and you said, Lord, if I've sinned, forgive me. Well, that's one thing to say, if I've sinned, forgive me. It's another thing to say, Lord, I am the sinner who needs forgiveness. And I'm pinpointing that point. And that's exactly what that illustration that Jesus uses here of the Pharisee and the sinner who went in, to the temple and he said one of them said, God be merciful to me, the sinner. He's using the article the in front of an abstract noun like sinner in Romans four, or five, but to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, the faith of him is credited as righteousness. So what we're talking now about is we're talking about specifically someone who does not trust in their works We're talking about someone who is ungodly, and someone who has specific faith in Jesus Christ has a credited righteousness. Of course, that's justification, which is imputed to that one. We've been through that in the book of Romans. So what we would learn from the use of the article is there must be an individual who has specific faith in Jesus Christ. He must be one who is willing to admit he's ungodly, and he must have faith that Christ is going to save him, not works. That's what that says, by the use of the article. So by the use of the article, what Paul's doing here is he wants to identify this. But to the one who does not work, an individual who comes to terms with, my works won't save me, my works will not save me, the one, that any ungodly person who is ungodly, who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, will have the righteousness of God. And then if we go to 1 Corinthians 13 4. This is interesting because it's the love is patient, the love is kind, the love does not brag and is not arrogant. Well, what is the article the describing here about love? It's talking about a specific kind of love, God's kind of love that he wants identified by that article the. That's why the article the is used. Then in Ephesians 2 8, for by the grace you have been saved through faith. Well, what is the grace. It's an abstract noun, but what is the grace? The grace is the salvific grace that's found in Jesus Christ, which is the only thing that can save a sinner. So it's by the grace that is saved. So a person could say, I'm saved by grace. Well, what does that mean? You have to be saved by the grace, which of course is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So an article can be used with an abstract noun. Fourthly, an article may be used to point out specific identities and names of specific individuals. There were other people whose name was Jesus and Paul and John, so oftentimes when the Bible wants to really zero in on who it is, it'll use the article the so that it stresses the identity of the individual. In Acts 19.13, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. So Paul was not just preaching about any Jesus. He's preaching about a specific Jesus, and the Jewish exorcists knew about the specific Jesus of whom he was preaching. And also, Paul does not have an article before the name stressing the importance of identifying Jesus in this. He does not have an article that stresses the importance of identifying Jesus in this. It's interesting that it has been observed that the article The appears with the name Jesus 909 times in the New Testament, and the article The does not appear with the name Jesus 359 times. So what that would indicate is that there's a time when the writer wants to have you specifically identify this as the Jesus, and then there's other times when the writer is basically stressing the character and quality of Jesus as being God. So both of those things become prominent. In Romans 9.5, the Christ is the one who is God blessed forever. And we've been over that one. And it is specifically identifying Christ who is God blessed forever. And then you have in Colossians 4.11, also Jesus, who is the called justice. Now this is fascinating. I want you to go to that one. Go to Colossians chapter 4. Apparently there's this guy in Colossians chapter 4. And this is the one where he doesn't use the article. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul says, and also Jesus, and he doesn't use the article the there, but he does say who's called the justice. So Jesus, he doesn't use the article. So apparently there was a guy in the Colossian church whose name was Jesus, but he's not the Jesus who gives salvation. He was the Jesus who's called the justice. He must have been someone in some position of authority or something because that's what he was called. And then in 1 Thessalonians 1-2, we give thanks to the God. So sometimes the article is used to specifically identify individuals. So what I want you to get out of that is the article is used to specifically identify things. When you see an article, the, that's what it's there for to specifically point out something, and also when it's not there, it doesn't lessen the meaning, it just changes the flavor of it. You go from specific identification to character and quality of something, so that is critical. Now we come to what I think is the real heart of things, and that is a verb, a verb. A verb is a word or part of a sentence that affirms or asserts some action or state of being about a person, place, or thing. Roy Zuck, in his book Basic Bible Interpretation, said the verb asserts something about what the noun or pronoun is or what the noun or pronoun does. And being able to spot verbs is a key to understanding the Bible, and without verbs, there's no precision And you wouldn't understand precise action or precise meaning. For example, take Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. All right, take the verb create out of there. If we take the verb created out of there, the verse doesn't make sense. You have in the beginning, God, the heaven, the earth. And you'd say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? In the beginning, God, the heaven, the earth. But by adding the verb created that changes the whole dynamic of the meaning and we know precisely what it means. Now there are two types of verbs and there are two specific types of verbs categorically speaking. The first type is what is called an action verb. Now an action verb is just what you think it would be. It expresses some type of action in regard to the subject and when it comes to action verbs you have two kinds. We'll lay it out, we'll explain it so you'll clearly understand it. First of all, there are what is called transitive action verb or verb action, transitive verb action, and that requires an object. For example, if I say I threw, I threw what? A transitive verb demands I have to have an object of something. I threw a ball. A transitive verb simply means I have to have a direct object of the action. Let me give you a great illustration of this from the book of Matthew. And we can really show you the point if you go over to Matthew chapter 10 for just a second. Matthew chapter 10. I think here's a great illustration of a transitive verb that you need in a context that the Lord Jesus uses. He uses a series of transitive verbs right here that have to have some type of object because he's sending his disciples out. He's sending out his 12 to the house of Israel, and in verse 8, he goes, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Okay, so he uses a series here of verbs, heal, raise, cleanse, cast out. Now, if Jesus just said, heal, raise, cleanse, cast out, they wouldn't know what he meant. I'm sending you out, there you go, heal, raise, cleanse, cast out. Cast out what? Heal what? Cleanse what? I mean, you have to have some type of object. That's what a transitive verb is. So he uses a transitive verb. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers, Cast out the demons. By the way, I want you to notice this with our study of articles. You'll notice if you're reading a New American Standard Bible that the articles the in verse 8 are in the italics. That's because... The New American Standard is a very accurate translation. If you're reading a King James Version or a New International Version here tonight, you'll notice they're not in italics. So in other words, what you're reading, if you're reading that, is heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. All right, it literally reads, heal sick, raise dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Now, the point I want to make here is that... That's how precise the New American Standard Bible is, which is why we use it in this church. We've tried to explain that over the years, but that's why we use that particular translation. So if he would have just said to the guys, using a verb that isn't a transitive verb, if he had just said, you go and heal, raise, cleanse, and cast out, they would have left with questions, well, what's he talking about? What's he want us to heal? What's he want us to cast out? What's he want us to cleanse? What's he talking about? So a transitive verb makes the verbs make sense, and a transitive verb demands you have to have an object. That's what a transitive verb is. It's an action verb, but you have to have an object. In Mark 8.23, let's go over to that one, Mark 8.23. In Mark 8.23, we read, Uh, taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he said, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Okay, Jesus asked this blind man, Do you see anything? And in verse 24, the man looked up and he said, I see men. Now, he could have said, I see. He could have said, I see. I see. And someone would have said, you see what? What is it that you see? And so the object of what he sees was the men, which makes that a transitive verb. A transitive verb needs an object in order to give meaning to the action, as it were. Let's go to another one, Acts 16.30. If you go over there, this is a pretty familiar one to you, Acts 16.30. In Acts 16.30, we read... And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. All right? Paul uses a transitive verb, believe. He could have just said, what must I do to be saved? Believe. Believe what? What am I supposed to believe in to be saved? Well, he's giving an object to what they need to believe in, which of course is the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. So a transitive verb believe requires some object of faith, which is Jesus Christ. Let's go to one more tonight, and then we'll wrap it up here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15.3. 1 Corinthians 15.3. Now we know from 1 Corinthians fifteen one. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you stand. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Paul could have just said, Christ died. But he said in verse 1, I'm presenting the essence of the gospel, So with the verb, he died, he completes the action. It's a transitive verb. He says, he died for our sins. And that makes the verb, he died, a transitive verb. So a transitive verb is a verb that you have to have an object after you use the verb. I went to the store. I drove my car. I got mad and left the class. And that'd be a good one right there, actually. A transitive verb you have to have an object. Our time is gone tonight. Now let's take your homework sheet. I want to kind of have you look over it before we sign you off with this tonight and send you out with it. You got first John 1 9, very familiar verse. You're gonna basically do what you did tonight with this, how many total words are in the verse, how many conjunctions of the verse, etc. We go down through that. And then question number ten, before each of the nouns sins is a definite article the? Why would they be there? Why would those definite articles be there? So, any questions or comments what we've covered tonight? I'm amazed you just keep coming to this study. (laughs) Actually, it's quite amazing. It speaks highly of you or maybe you have troubles. I don't know. We have a great Lord's Day plan for you. We're going to be in a powerful text. Faith comes by hearing the word. We're in there on Sunday morning. And then Micah, he's riveting Sunday night when he goes after those guys. And then he says, is there any hope ever for anything ever happening again that's good? It's a pretty powerful text. So we'll have a great day of worship for you. Thank you so much for coming. Good night. The Lord bless you.